Raised by a family of survivalists in rural Idaho, she was 17 the first time she set foot in a classroom. Events like the Holocaust and Jim Crow were as foreign to her as science and calculus. But would her ties to family cost more than her education? Would it cost her freedom? Would it cost her her life? Her name is Tara Westover. The book is Educated. And you're listening to Lit Society. Let's get lit! This is Kari. And this is Alexis. And you're listening to Lit Society, a show about books and drama. Drama. Alexis, how are you this week? How are you doing, friend? I am doing well. Good. What have you been up to? I have been working really hard. Yeah, you're always working really it hard. Is. You're a hard worker. But it's a seasonal thing. I don't mm-hmm. work hard all year long. That's <laughs> a lie. <laughs> Why would someone do that? <laughs> so how's your week been? You do anything fun? Exciting? I tried to think about that, and I don't think I did anything fun and exciting but well, work. How about you? I went to Tennessee to see your sister. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think I knew that. It was a surprise, right? <laughs> no, she, her husband ended up telling her. So, oh. Yeah, it was fun. It was a great time. Um, you know, I do think we spent like probably five hours to sleep under blankets in the living room, which is great. I was going to say, that feels good. Yeah, <laughs> friends you can do nothing with mm-hmm. are like the best of friends. Yep. Um, and we got to see some friends that I knew when I was younger that oh, really? live near them now. Yeah, it was okay. really cool. It was yeah, a great time to catch up. So I feel like I haven't seen you in a long time. I know. That may be why. Because <laughs> I was in Tennessee for three days. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't I mean, that long. But, but I can feel I just like say still. your family is the gift that keeps on giving? <laughs> <laughs> your family is my family and I love it. Aww. Aww. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Each week, we select a theme to discuss inspired by the book we're reading. The theme this week is how to cut toxic people from your life. Now, I do want to talk about um, is it healthy to cut people out of our lives? If so, under what circumstances and how do we do it? How can we do it with the um, least dramatic effect to both us and them? Mm. I don't know. But um, have you ever had to cut anyone out of your life? I think so at one time in my life. And um, yeah, I'm going to say I have had to do that. Mm -hmm. That's actually something everyone seems to have to face at one point or another. I remember waking up thinking, I don't have to be friends with people just because I've known them forever. (laughs) I can choose friends that are a good influence in my life. However, I overall, I don't like to cut people out of my life. Yeah, I think you've said that before. Yeah, um, just because someone doesn't, within reason, doesn't make decisions that I would make or doesn't feed me intellectually or isn't where I want to be in life. I've heard that before, like your friends should reflect where you want to be. And I don't agree with that. I think some people add value in different ways. Mm -hmm. And so it's not really healthy to cut them off. But sometimes it is necessary. And so um, by cutting them off, do you really mean like severing ties, never speaking to this person again. That's interesting. So there are different levels to that, right? Disconnecting Mm -hmm. from someone because you can get to the point where you're telling your friends and your family, if you're inviting this person, don't invite me. That's typically what I think of when I think of cutting off. 
But it doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, it doesn't have to be so dramatic. Right. I don't think of it that way. How do you think I of, think of it? Um, maybe limiting your dealings and communication with that person. Mm-hmm. There's a great article in Psychology Today from uh, PhD Barbara Greenberg. And it's entitled 10 Reasons Why People Get Cut Off from Their Family. Um, there's some more shallow ones like uh, you're just sick of people. <laughs> but then there are more some more serious reasons why you may need to deliberately remove someone from your environment. Someone who is toxic, someone who is abusive, manipulating. Um, and that can be very difficult when you are in their proximity. When, like you said, you're hanging out every day or if they're your family. You actually live in the same home. How do you cut off family members that you live with? Ooh, Do you have to move out? Yep, you do. You have to remove yourself from the situation because you can't change people. You can only change yourself. That's true. But is there nothing you can do while you're under the same roof? Avoidance? Yeah, right. Is that the answer? And I might um, provoke them to more toxic behavior. Mm -hmm. So So you got to remove yourself Mm -hmm. from the situation. Another reason she brought up that I thought was interesting is that people can freeze you in time. Perhaps there were decisions that you made that you're no longer proud of. And to them, you're always that person. So in order to grow Mm -hmm. and to move on, you have to stop communicating with them because they've frozen you in this part of time that you're no longer you no longer see yourself in. Right. And that seems healthy. That seems to me like something where it's not you're not saying to people, if you invite them, don't invite me. You're just choosing not to call them, not to reach out to them. Um, another thing might be exhaustion. And this is something I was alluding to in the beginning. Sometimes people, we've depleted our emotional well for certain people. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's tricky because you, then you're freezing them. You're freezing them in time, right? By saying, you've taken so much from me, I have to let you go. <laughs> Well, yeah, that's a value to yourself, though, right? Yeah. But what if someone's changed and they're no longer? Then time will reflect that. And then you can bring them back into your life. Back into your life. Yeah. Okay. All right. I like that. Um, What about perceived slights where it seems someone has done something to you that you find offensive, perhaps something even serious? They may not be sorry about it. Do you cut people out of your life for that? Uh, You may have to. Like when? Your example, you're saying that they're not sorry for it, but you're going to continue to be in this person's presence and they've treated you in a specific way that um, you're not comfortable with. So I will say that personally, I have let people remain in my life who aren't sorry for the way they've treated me. They have treated me in a way that has offended me. They're not sorry. And I have to um, work through my own personal offense. And like use discernment to understand where they're coming from, because everyone has their own baggage, right? The way you perceive an action is going to be different from the way another person perceives an action. Just because this person has offended you in a particular situation does not mean mean that they don't bring value to your life or that you shouldn't forgive them without them asking for forgiveness. Oh, okay. Okay, I can come up with one for that. Someone, I feel like they offended me. They actually apologized, though, so I don't know if it's count. But I was like, it's harder when they don't apologize or they don't apologize in the way you feel like they should. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, hmm. I, I guess I don't have one, but still. <laughs> well, I've been on the other side of that where Ooh. someone has confronted me and thought that I should apologize for something. And I didn't think it was worthy of an apology. Are you still friends today? Um, 
No, but because of distance, not because of that situation. So then that means if you connect it, we're in the presence of that person that you would pick up like old friends. Yeah, I think so, actually. Okay, well, that's good. And then I think it's important when you apologize that people see you suffer on the level that they suffered. You know what I mean? That's really what people want out of apology. So if they, if you said something to them like, get your bald head and stuff out of here, ain't even got no edges. (laughs) And deep down inside, they're really like sensitive about About their lack of edges. Mm -hmm. They might cry about that. Then when you apologize, you need to... Does that mean you tell you that maybe if you can squeeze out a tear, (laughs) that seems disingenuous. It does. Do it anyway, because that's what people want to (laughs) see when you apologize. They want to see some suffering involved. If I be like, girl, I'm sorry about talking about your bald headed edges. Now, so so the tone in that tone. Girl, I didn't know you were sensitive about your bald headed edges. That's another thing. Don't make it seem like they're wrong for being offended. Oh, I hate that. Mm -hmm. People who always apologize like I'm sorry that you felt this way about that. Keep it. Save it. I don't want it. Yeah. But I'm sorry that I made you feel this way about your bald headed edges. (laughs) That's a good apology. Is it? it? (laughs) Back to the topic. Is it? Money. Financial issues. Someone who borrows and doesn't repay. Do you cut those people out? You just stop loaning the money. Right. Yeah. that's how I feel but it depends on the amount of money like if I'm giving you a significant amount of money although you never lend anything you're not you can't be without exactly exactly I always assume when you lend you ain't gonna see that wait no is that mo. like the Damon Dash thing with was there Damon mind your Dash business is, you don't know that but yes it's just I like that I think it's in that scenario but yeah. I don't think he deal with him no more I think they're friends you know Are they? I don't know any of these people if we're gonna do this However, I would say that in interviews, there's only one person dating that Ash seems to hate. Okay. Moving on. Can you not forgive someone and then also not cut them out of your life? What does that look like? Mm. What would be that scenario? That would be a sibling who abused you growing up, Ooh. perhaps beating you, um, de- tormenting you in front of people. But perhaps you feel sorry for that sibling for some reason that only you and them know or. You know, and you and you don't want to cut them out of your life, but maybe you just limit your interactions with them. Can that happen? I think so. Um, what about a scenario where there is no acknowledgement? It's never even discussed. Yes. The family not, doesn't discuss the abuse that was put on you. Right. Not you, not the the person that offended you mm-hmm. in that abusive way. No acknowledgement of kind of move on because you decide for yourself it's not worth it. And And how do you move on? What does that look like? You have to forget and then still hang out with these people. Yeah, I think it depends, too, on the level of abuse. If this is something uh, where people play too much, (laughs) you know what I mean? Sometimes Uh people play too much and you're like, man, I'm exhausted every time I'm around you. Mm -hmm. You say things that don't make me feel good about myself. I don't like you. (laughs) <laughs> but, but you know, I'm going to I'm going to still love you. Right. But then there there's physical and sexual abuse. Yeah. That's the scenario I was thinking of. Then how do you make sure you're not abused again? You set boundaries. OK. Set and maintain boundaries. So like not being alone with this person. Absolutely. And wh- what are you doing this for? For the comfort of everyone what or you for setting? yourself? You have to protect yourself. No, I mean, why are you still putting yourself in this person's presence? Because they're family. Ugh. Because they're family and you know how to forgive. Mm-hmm. And so this behavior has stopped. Absolutely. And you don't think it's not illegal what they're doing? 
or what they have done, what they've done in the past. Mm -hmm. Well, a lot of families definitely do this. Mm -hmm. Um, There are families who keep illegal activity within the family, especially when it comes to the abuse of children because of shame and for other reasons. Yeah, it seems to be that for the overall family's comfort, that these sins are forgiven within the family. However, they are illegal. And um, things like this, even if law did not play a part in it. And think about children who can't just move out. (laughs) That's a privilege. Or even um, people who depend, maybe a wife with an abusive husband who doesn't have the financial means to live on her own. They have to make the best of their situation until if they're ever able to leave. As you said, you can't control what others do. You can only control what you do. So removing yourself from them, not um, being alone in a room with them, that all sounds great. But yeah, as we learn from scenarios in this book. Yeah. And it's amazing how one person can affect the overall mental health of an entire family. An entire family. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wow. So yeah, no answers today. You know, we're all doing the best we can. Those statements are true. Yeah. Yeah. Let's move on. Yeah, we're back. That was heavy. It was. But necessary. I think so. Mm-hmm. Very relatable. We had to take a wine, pizza, and Seinfeld break. It was great. And now, can you please give us some background on Tara Westover? Tell us who she is, you know, why she do what she do, please. Okay. So for the most part, we learn about who Tara is through this memoir. So I'm going to kind of keep it really brief. Okay. And talk about her education more. Tara was born in 1986 in Idaho. Free white and 34 <laughs> to okay. a father opposed to education. Mm-hmm. She was taught to read by one of her older brothers. After that, her education was sporadic and haphazard. Um, she received a bachelor's from Brigham Young University, BYU, in 2008. She has a master's of philosophy from Trinity College, which I believe she was awarded in 2009. She was awarded the Gates Cambridge Scholarship, which goes to outstanding students and covers the full cost of a postgraduate degree in any subject at the University of Cambridge. It includes a range of discretionary funding for academic and professional development. And you get money. Mm -hmm. She was a visiting fellow. Her host university was Harvard as a visiting fellow. She was assigned an undergrad to serve as her guide or assistant, and she had access to a small staff. Do you have to teach as a visiting fellow? I don't believe you have to teach. So but you the just whole- get like an intern to get your coffee in a room <laughs> and money? That's awesome. Um, I believe the expectation is that you will come back and okay. teach. Um, she's also given a private office with a computer, a phone, and she receives a, <laughs> a <modest> computer <laughs> and a phone? <laughs> a modest stipend. What's modest? What does that mean? Modest is relative. Uh, okay. Right? So she rolling in it. Educated is her first book. <laughs> and it was published in February 2018. Can you please give us a brief synopsis without spoilers? And that's weird to say because it is nonfiction, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my synopsis is going to be really brief. So let me just jump into it. Okay. This book describes the struggles of a young woman who grew up on a mountain in Idaho to a survivalist family with Mormon beliefs. 
The story takes us from her youth of homeschooling to her PhD from Cambridge University. What were your first thoughts? I bought this book in New Orleans on a trip and I saw it at Faulkner Books and got it right away because I have seen it on every bestseller list for nonfiction. Heard so much about it, but didn't know anything about Tara, about the book, um, why it's called Educated. In fact, looking at the cover, I only realized after I read the book that it is both a pencil and a a girl standing on a mountain. Yeah. So I love that. I love it. It's a twist. Mm -hmm. Not only if you're slow. (laughs) Um, No offense to slow people. We're a a guarded community. So uh, my first thoughts were, as I was starting to read it, um, is this all about her childhood it shouldn't be called educated it should be called uneducated but then I got it I got it more like in the middle of the book how the power that it has to transform a person's life Mm -hmm. so my first thoughts were excited to read it opened it started reading it loved it right away what about you what were your first thoughts in the book um I just picked it from like the best books of yeah just going down the list Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like read okay I think we should read that one Mm -hmm. you tend not to look at lists I don't I don't (laughs) list reviews you're allergic to them I am like so consumed I'm like a workaholic and so to step away from that and then think about a book to read. I have not read books in so long. So you needed a tool to choose for you. Yeah. I respect that. So I started that and, but I love reading. Mm -hmm. So there you go. Well, since you love reading so much, (sighs) let's dive splash, splash (laughs) into educated with spoilers. Go. Tara grew up as the youngest of seven children on an isolated mountain in Southern rural Idaho. Um, I've listened to interviews and she's described this as beautiful. So I believe it was beautiful. It sounds beautiful the way, yeah, she, as you said, described the picturesque setting, the mountains, the, what did they call the woman on the mountain? Apache woman. The Apache woman who, when covered in snow, you know that, you know, harvest time is over and as the snow melts, it's about to begin. That's really, yeah. Yeah. um, Great word pictures. Yeah, they really were not just flowery words. Horses and Mm -hmm. yeah, Mm -hmm. it sounded really beautiful. So her parents, her mom's name is Faye and her dad's name is Jean. It's not though, but those are the names she uses. Right. The book starts off um, in a prologue saying that that these are, um, what do you call it? Uh, At the beginning. Not pseudonyms, right? They're just, uh, she called them something else. I'm sorry. Pseudonyms. (laughs) She also makes it clear that this book is not against any religious belief. Uh, This is just her story. This is the way it was. And she said it's not about religion. Mm -hmm. The Mormon religion specifically, she said that. So her parents, Faye and Jean, raised her as a Mormon under these very survivalist beliefs. But they were extreme. This is some extreme like heretic form of Mormonism, right? Am I saying that right? I hope I am. Is it heretic? I'm I'm not sure what okay. they were, but they were very devout. They had their own faith within the church, like the family did. Right, because they referred to people that didn't really believe or follow the same things that they did as Gentiles. Right. Right. And so this... Other Mormons. Right. Other mm-hmm. Mormons. They were like, there's degrees to this Mormonism, mm-hmm. and those are Parallels. Gentiles. Right. Uh-huh. Definitely. Bathing those. with soap. Gentile. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So her mom, Faye, 
I'm just going to start with that. She came from what was considered a good family mm-hmm. as the book Respectable described. in the community. Yeah. yeah. And her family lived in town. Her mother, Faye's mother kind of curated this for her so that she could say she was from a good family or it would be perceived that she was from a good family. Mm-hmm. Whereas Gene, her father, he lived on the mountain and he grew up as a, fa- a farmer. Um, and her father was against government influence in their lives. And in harmony with that anti-government belief, she was born at home. Her birth certificate was not registered for her until she was nine. And that's because I think one of her older brothers said they wanted to get a job or wanted to go to school. I mm-hmm. can't remember. Um, her father did not believe that his children should go to school, though the first three, the older ones, did receive some formal education, but they were immediately, they were pulled out probably within the first couple years. Mm-hmm. Um, the children received homeschooling, but it was inconsistent because the father didn't really value it, although he did value education at home. And they weren't following um, a certified homeschool education program. Right. They were just picking up random books around the house about science, English, whatever, and reading them. And the science textbook was like, it sounds as if it was a picture book. Yeah, that's what it sounded like. Um, So it was very limited. Her father felt like you could teach yourself anything better than someone else can teach it to you. Mm -hmm. Her father believed more in practical skills. So they worked in the junkyard, which they they owned a junkyard. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Tara learned math doing breakfast dishes. (laughs) That's how she learned like division yeah, yeah fractions mm-hmm. yeah i thought that was pretty cool um girl well, that's where i learned <laughs> <laughs> i know they were trying to teach me in school were you good at math and science i was good at nothing in school oh well that's a lie there are no lies told there well then you didn't apply yourself you're right that's exactly what it was that is the <laughs> pure definition of what did you get out of school i didn't you... apply myself <laughs> i remember i was gonna say I, I do remember being in a library with you and my cat and i was oh, sleeping in between <laughs> In between paragraphs. <laughs> That's college. That's different. Yeah. I was thinking more of high school. Okay. No, you're right. Yeah. Um, you were the person who taught me to stop using so many commas. <laughs> you thing. read my essay and you laughed and you said, ha, 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 freshman and commas. <laughs> and I thought, you're not even in the school of communication. <laughs> Forgive me for that. Okay. Because I, I cut you like... out of my life. But somehow you came on back. I was here. <laughs> <laughs> So Tara's learning was very self-directed. There was a time and she was the least disciplined of her family. She acknowledged. Was there, she the baby? Yes. She was the baby of their seven children. Um, she said by the time she was 10, Morris Cole was the only thing she studied systematically and that her father felt like she needed to learn that. So that was because when thing. the government pulls all of your electricity and all of these amenities you rely on, you're going to need Morse code. You're going to need it. Mm hmm. She started working in the junkyard at like nine or 10. I believe it was nine. And working in the junkyard brought her many, many injuries. One time she caught a steel cylinder to the stomach. Why is that, Alexis? Is junkyard work just inherently dangerous? In this book, it sounds like it. Yeah. And her father was all about speed and cutting corners. And you know what? You won't be hurt because you got your angels with you. Yeah. That was like a theme of his. So, you know, put God to the test and protecting you. (laughs) Yeah. When she started working, it was a point where he was like tossing things. Yeah. Forgetting like metal pipes. Yes. That she was there. And that's how she got that. 
And was she 10? She was young, She right? was really young. She was really young. So... So one Christmas season, dad seemed really deflated. He wasn't getting out of bed and mother decided they should go to Arizona where Jean's mom stayed for the winter. Right. I kind of thought he had seasonal affective disorder. Mm -hmm. He was in a depressed state. Right. After a six day visit, dad decided to return home. It was after several days of arguing with his mom. But what like really ticked him off is she was listening to her voicemail and most of the messages were from family or friends and neighbors. But one was from the doctor and he believes the medical establishment to be part of the Illuminati. Right, right, right. It was late after dinner. It was a 12 hour drive. They head home. Yeah, he stands up and goes, we're heading home. Pack and your stuff. like, what? Yep, everybody's late. Like, and we're late. tired. Mom was even like, his mom yeah. was like, why would you leave this late? Mm-hmm. Guess who's the driver? Her older brother, Tyler, who is 17 years old. He actually falls asleep behind the wheel and drives off the road. They were 20 miles from home. The car drifted over the center lane into the other lane, left the highway, jumped the ditch, smashed through two utility poles, and came to a stop after colliding with the roll crop tractor. Wow. I awoke when the car hit the first utility pole. I'd been asleep on the floor under my sister's feet, a blanket over my head. I tried to sit up, but the car was shaking, lunging. It felt like it was coming apart, and Audrey fell on top of me. I couldn't see what was happening, but I could feel and hear it. Another loud thud, a lurch, my mother screaming, Tyler, from the front seat, and a final violent jolt before everything stopped and silence set in. Several seconds passed in which nothing happened. Then I heard Audrey's voice. She was calling our names one by one. Then she said, everyone's here except Tara. I tried to shout, but my face was wedged under the seat, my cheek pressed to the floor. I struggled under Audrey's weight as she shouted my name. Finally, I arched my back and pushed her off, then stuck my head out of the blanket and said, here. I looked around. Tyler had twisted his upper body so that he was practically climbing into the back seat, his eyes bulging as he took in every cut, every bruise, every pair of wide eyes. I could see his face, but it didn't look like his face. Blood gushed from his mouth and down his shirt. I closed my eyes, trying to forget the twisted angles of his blood-stained teeth. When I opened them again, it was to check everyone else. Richard was holding his head, a hand over each ear, like he was trying to block out a noise. Audrey's nose was strangely hooked, and blood was streaming from it down her arm. Luke was shaking, but I couldn't see any blood. I had a gash on my forearm from where the seat's frame had caught hold of me. Everyone all right? My father's voice. There are power lines on the car, Dad said. Nobody get out till they've shut them off. His door opened, and for a moment, I thought he'd been electrocuted. But then I saw he'd pitched himself far enough so that his body had never touched the car and the ground at the same time. I remember peering at him through my shattered window as he encircled the car, his red cap pushed back so the brim reached upward, licking the air. He looked strangely boyish. He circled the car, then stopped, crouching low, bringing his head level with the passenger seat. Are you okay? He said. Then he said it again. The third time he said it, his voice quivered. I leaned over the seat to see who he was talking to and only then realized how serious the accident had been. But this accident just sounds terrible. Mm -hmm. Tyler, who drove, his front teeth were displaced. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, did they eventually fall out? Yeah. I don't know. She doesn't say. She doesn't say at all. Um, Mother 
likely had a serious brain injury. They talk about her having raccoon eyes, Mm -hmm. which um, she understood to be an indication of a serious brain injury. And she spent days in the basement with a serious concussion, never going to the hospital. Yeah. I mean, sleeping. Yeah. (laughs) You should never sleep with even a minor concussion. Right. Because you could fall into a coma, but she didn't. And her father likely tied that to some angelic help. Absolutely. Yeah. She, as I mentioned, was left with memory issues Mm -hmm. and migraines. They say Um, she was never the same. No one went to the hospital. Mm -mm. They just didn't believe in it. So after the accident, probably like a month after the accident, Tyler told the family that he wanted to go to college. As we talked about early on, they're not really into that Mm-mm. because his fa- their father believes that government schooling is something that the the political system uses to brainwash children and to draw them into Satan's thinking. But Tyler was committed to going. Um, so he prepared for the ACT, took it and was scheduled to go to school. They tried to talk him out of it. He was like, but this school is that I'm going to. I think it's a religious school or has a very religious base to it. So he was like, that should be good, right? His father was still completely opposed. Very to adamant, yeah. Mm-hmm. But eventually he did go to school. Um, so these children, um, this child had never received a formal education, educated himself as much as possible. And then I will say combined with what his parents did teach yes. him, was able to pass the ACTs at a level that enabled him to go to college, skipping yeah. high school. Yeah, and but Tyler did actually, he was one of the children that did have some schooling. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. And I think he was also one that asked if he could go back. Mm-hmm. Maybe he went back sporadically, but yeah. had to keep going back to the junkyard to work and then yeah. eventually just stop going to school. Mm-hmm. Tyler's absence created in Tara a hunger to learn. So she began studying science and history. And when her dad saw her studying, he would think of jobs that she could do to distract her. She read the Book of Mormon twice, the New Testament, the Old Testament. She essentially studied religion. Another thing we learned about Tara is that she was good at singing and she performed as the lead in several plays. And that desire moved her to want to go to college and potentially learn more about music. She was introduced to classical music at young age by her brother, Tyler, who went off to school. So music became a thing that actually made Tara even think about leaving the mountain. So Tara actually got a job outside of the junkyard. She was getting piano lessons that she bartered for babysitting. She even took dance lessons. There's one time when she was in class and all the girls had on, you know, the standard leotard dress code. But They she were younger on, yeah. than her, these little girls. Yeah. Yeah. But she put on it. Her mom got her that uniform, but put a gray T-shirt over it. So they really believed in modesty and showing um, like no skin. I mean, even your dress shouldn't be that much that far above your ankles. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Her father really enjoyed seeing her in these plays. And at some point, her older brother, Sean, would kind of take her to these rehearsals. When Tara began to seriously consider college, her dad was opposed. And he said a woman's place is in the home and Tara needed to learn about herbs. That was her mom's job. She was a midwife and holistic health care provider. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. She would make these remedies for her family. Yeah. So when they had um, major, yeah, when they had concussions, when, you know, pipes were piercing their um, maybe not primary organs or when (laughs) 
their brains were oozing out of their head. The idea was take this person home to mom and mom will mix up some essential oils to heal them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And do also some energy work. There was one time when Tara was helping her dad in the junkyard and she like fell 18 feet, 20 feet from a dump truck Mm -hmm. and had a steel pole stuck in her leg, stuck in her leg, just like a inch below her knee. Right. And her dad was like, how'd you manage this? Now he told her to climb into this. I, in my mind, it was like the dump truck bin. Yeah. That's what it sounded like. Because his thing was, he was always short on time, even though it didn't seem to anyone else that he had any pressing engagements. (laughs) He wanted to work quickly, even if that meant sacrificing safety, even if that meant sacrificing his children's safety. So when she was working in the junkyard for him, which was always a last resort for her, it was something she was pulled into. They kept pulling her back in and she had to uh, work for him if she was going to live in the house. Um, Yeah, he almost killed her. Yeah, he almost killed her. A few times. Yeah, let's get back to that. A Mm -hmm. few times. A few times. She's decided she wants to go to school, so she prepares for the ACT. Are ACT still a thing? I think so. I thought they were going to stop them. There was a plan to stop them. standardized testing and all people don't really... Yeah, but I think they are still in existence. Okay. I didn't sleep the night before. My brain conjured so many scenes of disaster. It burned as if with a fever. At five, I got out of bed, ate breakfast, and drove the 40 miles to Utah State University. I was led into a white classroom with 30 other students who took their seats and placed their pencils on their desk. A middle-aged woman handed out tests and strange pink sheets I'd never seen before. Excuse me, I said when she gave me mine. What is this? It's a bubble sheet to mark your answers. How does it work? It's the same as any other bubble sheet. She began to move away from me, visibly irritated, as if I were playing a prank. I'd never used one before. She appraised me for a moment. Fill in the bubble of the correct answer. Blacken it completely. Understand? The test began. I'd never sat at a desk for four hours in a room full of people. The noise was unbelievable. Yet I seemed to be the only person who heard it, who couldn't divert her attention from the rustle of turning pages and the scratch of pencils on paper. When it was over, I suspected that I'd failed the math, and I was positive that I'd failed the science. My answers for the science portion couldn't even be called guesses. They were random, just patterns of dots on that strange pink sheet. I drove home. I was stupid, but more than stupid, I felt ridiculous. Now that I'd seen the other students, watched them march into the classroom in neat rows, claim their seats and calmly fill in their answers as if they were performing a practice routine, it seemed absurd that I had thought I could score in the top 15%. That was their world. I stepped into overalls and returned to mine. So she took it again and got the score that she wanted to get so she could get into the school. She prepared. So the first time she did it, she was close, but not quite close enough to get into that percentile. Yeah. Which she needed, as you said, to get into the university Mm -hmm. that she yeah was rooting for. As she prepared for school, she started hoarding her checks. um, But dad started charging her and then said she would be put out. They started charging her rent, right? 
And then taking lump sums of money from her. Yeah, it was weird. And then yeah. at one point there was like, if you if you can't give money for this or do something, you need to get out. And by tomorrow, was, by tomorrow. After they had taken her money for whatever. <laughs> for whatever. So that was crazy because then her mom came into her room. <laughs> So it's like we shouldn't laugh, but it was hilarious. Yeah. Her mom was like, I know it sounds like your dad's being harsh on you because, you know, he wants to kick you out by tomorrow because you want to go to school. By your age, I was, I was already, already I was already living on my own and preparing to have a family with your dad. And she goes at 17. And her mom goes, I thought you were 20. She goes, no, mom, I'm 17. I can't keep you kids as ages straight. OK, in that case, you can stay. Absolutely insane. So where does thing? So Tara goes to school. What an adjustment. She is 17, has never set foot in a school, no formal education. And here she is. She's got her apartment that she's sharing with a couple of roommates. They're actually two other Mormon girls. But but they're not her kind of Mormon. They're not her kind of Mormon. They're considered Gentiles. Yeah, because they like work on Sunday and use soap. And not only were they drinking Coke. Oh, their dress they wore, too. Oh, yeah. Their outfits. They were were not very Mormon, as she thought. Yeah. Not her type of Mormon. Not her type of Mormon. Mm -hmm. So it was an experience for her to um, adapt to this. They um, but in one of her classes, I think it was Western Civ. She met a girl. Her name was Vanessa. Vanessa was more like her. Mm -hmm. And um, or she thought (laughs) she thought. More <laughs> Vanessa might have been better than her. <laughs> uh, what does better mean? I'll get that thought together for you later. <laughs> okay. In what sense I mean better. Okay. Vanessa didn't do homework on Sundays like she did and she didn't drink Coke. So that was like one thing. One of the things that happened to Tara while she was in school in this Western Civ class with Vanessa, she saw a word that she was unfamiliar with. So the teacher called on her to read a portion from the book. And she said, I don't know this word. And he said, thank you for that. Yeah. And then when class was dismissed, Vanessa was like, hey, um, you shouldn't joke about that and left. The word was Holocaust. Yeah. She had no knowledge of it. Never heard of it. This is one of many things she hadn't heard of in her life. Yeah. So it was an experience. And that kind of shamed her into asking additional questions. And doing some personal research on yeah. American history and world history. So her initial schooling experience wasn't very positive. She was actually failing. She, she felt like she should leave. Yeah. And yeah, it wasn't for her. It wasn't her world. Yep. But Vanessa was really helpful to her. She helped her understand that she needed to actually read the books to pass the classes. What was she doing instead of reading the books? Looking at pictures. Looking at the pictures. But yeah. that's what she was accustomed to. Because mm-hmm. her... Did textbooks at home at least her science textbooks was were full of pictures mm-hmm. and she was just yeah used to looking at the pictures like yeah. you said so that kind of helped her even though after that she was no longer friends with Vanessa Vanessa found another place to sit because yeah. <laughs> she was also cheating off of Vanessa too <laughs> can we talk about Tara's problematic undergrad years <laughs> they were problematic. she was the worst she, she was, was really. a mm-hmm. terrible classmate to have yep, a, a difficult roommate speaking of roommate after that I rarely spoke to Shannon or Mary and they rarely spoke to me except to remind me to do my share of the chores which I never did the apartment looked fine to me 
So what if there were rotting peaches in the fridge and dirty dishes in the sink? So what if the smell slapped you in the face when you came through the door? To my mind, if the stench was bearable, the house was clean. And I extended this philosophy to my person. I never used soap, except when I showered, usually once or twice a week. And sometimes I didn't use it even then. When I left the bathroom in the morning, I marched right past the hallway sink where Shannon and Mary always, always washed their hands. I saw their raised eyebrows and thought of grandma over in town. Frivolous, I told myself. I don't pee on my hands. The atmosphere in the apartment was tense. Shannon looked at me like I was a rabid dog and I did nothing to reassure her. What? <laughs> the worst. But if I could jump ahead just And then judgmental, bit. then got the nerve to be like, I might not use soap, but your skirt is a little too above your ankle. Exactly. What? Exactly. Yeah. So Charles was her friend in town. Mm-hmm. Charles came to her house. <laughs> she was trying to avoid this moment. Yeah, she yeah. was for life, right? Yeah. Trying to avoid this moment. But one time he just came in the house, she introduced him. She said she was initially very uncomfortable, but she introduced her to her mom. Mm-hmm. But when they were leaving, he was like, does your house always smell like that? And she goes, smell like what? He said, rotten plants. Rotting plants. Also, you smell like that. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like, he was so tactful as a friend, right? How do you how do you tell a friend that their home and themselves stink? <laughs> he said, I probably smell like that. Just being around you. I, you know, you stink so bad that stink jump off you, jump onto me. And then now I'm stink <laughs> in town, no less. Okay, so that was that was okay for her. She wasn't bothered by regular schmegular. Yeah. So the fact that the house stunk, that wasn't a big deal. Mm -hmm. That was just part of her. world. So the fact that her apartment stunk in college, not a big deal, not a big deal at all. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about Sean, because he plays a pretty big role in her life. Absolutely. yeah. Uh, Yeah, she he was gone for a time maybe like six years and kind of came back into their lives mm-hmm. as one of her older brothers as one of her older brothers he's like the second oldest mm-hmm. um, so they're like worlds apart yeah generationally mm-hmm. right yeah generationally yeah mm-hmm. so he comes back to their into their lives and kind of befriends her is that the best way to say that he's kinda more than a friend though right he's like the father she always wanted to her yeah he is he's really real, kind mm-hmm. initially absolutely she meets him again in her life when she has a neck injury and he That's sneaks right. up behind her and like cracks her neck and said i had to do that, that yeah way. had to take you by surprise and it's this feeling that. that someone can actually hurt you for your for the good of you. It was like a power he had over her. Yeah, he's manipulative. But at this point, he's in that like um, courting phase that manipulators get into where yeah. they're super thoughtful. Um, got her they're horse. your protector. Yes. Yes. When mm-hmm. her horse goes crazy, he's the one she trusts to yeah. save her and mm-hmm. the horse. Yeah. Um, so he the, I mean, they go on this long truck trip yes. because one of the brothers is a truck driver, can't do his shift. And so Sean does it for him only if Tara will come yep. because he wants to spend this time with his little sister. They play games. He's teaching her self-defense with some martial arts skills he picked up in life. And there are rumors in town that he is a bully, yep. but she never sees that side of him. And that's how it is. You don't see it. You don't believe it. Right. That trip they took, it was like two weeks long. So they really had to 
just like really one on one with mm-hmm. him. But then out of the blue, he started to bully her. Yeah, he was very physical with her. He would grab her by her hair and she would feel like her hair was going to come out. Dunk her in the toilet, hold her down in the toilet. He was really abusive. Drag her out of cars in public. Her clothes were ex- like she was exposed. Now, this is a girl who doesn't wear dresses above her ankles. Yeah. So to have her entire, entire middle exposed while her brother is on topping her, atop of her, like choking her, right? Yeah, there were times when he had, she woke up with him choking her and mom came in there and saw she would pass out. Yeah. This was extreme violence. His goal was to humiliate her her and to torture her. And it, he snapped so quickly and unpredictably. And he always came back and apologized. Always. It was Mm -hmm. standard abusive relationship. She had something like a deadbolt on her bedroom door because she lived in fear Mm -hmm. of Sean. Yeah. Mm -hmm. At some point she started trying to avoid him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So she wouldn't come home when she knew he was on his way. Exactly. Everything she could do to kind of protect herself and remove herself from the situation. He was really abusing her Mm -hmm. in the the worst way possible. Mm -hmm. There's a time when she comes home from school for Thanksgiving dinner. Mm -hmm. Charles is being invited over. Because they're like dating now. Yep. They're like dating. And so she gets into this uh, thing with Sean while Charles is present. Mortifying. The charade couldn't last, not even until supper. I passed Sean carrying a large china plate of dinner rolls and he stabbed my gut so hard it knocked the wind out of me. I dropped the plate. It shattered. Why did you do that? I shouted. It happened so quickly. I don't know how he got me to the floor, but again, I was on my back and he was on top of me. He demanded that I apologize for breaking the plate. I whispered the apology quietly so Charles wouldn't hear, but this enraged Sean. He grabbed a fistful of my hair again near the scalp for leverage and yanked me upright, then dragged me toward the bathroom. The movement was so abrupt, Charles had no time to react. The last thing I saw as my head hurled down the hall was Charles leaping to his feet, eyes wide, face pale. My wrist was folded, my arm twisted behind my back. My head was shoved into the toilet so that my nose hovered above the water. Sean was yelling something, but I didn't hear what. I was listening for the sound of footsteps in the hall. When I heard them, I became deranged. Charles could not see me like this. He could not know that for all my pretenses, my makeup, my new clothes, my china place settings, this is who I was. I convulsed, arching my body and ripping my wrist away from Sean. I'd caught him off guard. I was stronger than he'd expected or maybe just more reckless and he lost his hold. I sprang for the door. I'd made it through the frame and had taken a step into the hallway when my head shot backward. Sean had grabbed me by the hair and he yanked me toward him with such force that we both tumbled back into the bathtub. The next thing I remember, Charles was lifting me and I was laughing, a shrill, demented howl. I thought if I could just laugh loudly enough, the situation might still be saved that Charles might yet be convinced it was all a joke. Tears streaming from my eyes, my big toe was broken, but I kept cackling. Sean stood in the doorway looking awkward. Are you okay? Charles kept saying. Of course I am. Sean is so, so, so funny. That, Mm. I mean, that leaves me with no words because, I mean, even though I'm talking, it was... (laughs) That was too much. Mm-hmm. That was too much. But that is the level of abuse that he heaped upon her. So at this point in her life, who's looking out for Tara? Nobody. Mm. Nobody. Because 
Tyler, her brother, has his own life. Yep. And rightly so. Charles is her friend and boyfriend, but he's still an outsider. He's still an outsider. And her mom kind of stood, stands by and kind of watches these things happen. As many parents do in an abusive home mm-hmm. or toxic home, I should say. Yeah. And so she kind of allows these things to happen because it seems like she doesn't have the strength. And they always seem to be when the father is away. Mm-hmm. I don't know that the father would have done anything different. So there is a scene where Sean is being physical with Tara again and Tyler comes up from the basement. Sean did not know Tyler was there and he backs off. So it's this power play where he doesn't want to be challenged by another man. And so he's picking on this one on this girl who's much, much, much younger than him. Yeah. I think in this scenario that you read, he actually broke her toe. Yeah. Yeah. When Charles was over. Yeah. So that's one more issue. And again, they never go to the hospital when these things occur. No, not never. Never seek any form Although, of medical attention. Although, should you go attention. to a hospital for a broken toe? So there is an extreme here, right? Mm-hmm. Where you don't want to rely maybe on traditional medicine for everything. everything right. You do have to be able to do something. You have to have some form of self-reliance. But when you are in a major car accident and all your teeth get knocked out or you suffer even a minor concussion, you go to the hospital. <laughs> and they just didn't right? do that. I do think a broken toe, you can just like put that on a popsicle stick and tape that to you. But that's not true because things can grow back wrong. So don't listen to me. Go ahead. <laughs> I, I definitely have a limb or two that just ain't right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. She goes back to school. She tries to avoid um, Sean even more after this because... Right. And then actually she breaks up with Charles because Charles is like, I can't help you. You don't even want to be helped. Mm -hmm. She didn't even understand what that meant. I can't even be friends with a person like that personally. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he wanted. Because I would worry too much. Yeah. He wanted her to break away from this because he felt like it was no good Cut them off already. Yeah. He was very passionate about this, but she was like, no, that's not going to happen. You're an outsider. You don't understand. You do not understand. But through this, she goes back to school She's still trying to figure it out, but eventually she figures it out. She has this this new semester where she meets a new roommate and this roommate, she has a really, I want to say positive influence on her because she really guided her. She was an older roommate. I was going to say she was um, like close to graduating, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. She directed her to the um, bishop. She who was like a counselor for her. So this part irritated me because men in church are like trying to go out with her and she's turning them down. And so they go to the bishop and it's like, she doesn't agree with marriage and marriage is from God. And that he calls weird. her in to chastise her. That was weird. And she can't say anything because she doesn't even know what to say. And eventually she does say something. And what she says stops the bishop cold because she's talking about her family. Yeah. And from there she gets her counseling. But from him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From him. And it helps her. It helps yeah, because Sometimes you do need an outsider I mean, that is what a therapist is, right? A trained outsider to help you work through stuff. And to his uh, best of his ability, he's definitely helping her. Yeah, he really tries to help her because he knows she's struggling with school. She's got these ailments. Um, He even offers to pay from his own pocketbook her tuition or something. And then he eventually talks her into... From the church and then from her pocketbook. And she didn't like that. She mm-hmm. didn't like either. She yeah. wasn't going to accept a handout from anyone. There are or the a government. lot of redeeming qualities in Tara. She's a hard worker. Mm-hmm. She's honest. 
but almost to a except fault where she, she doesn't accept help. You mean like cheated off Vanessa's paper? Yeah. Yeah, she was totally cheating. <laughs> and even in the book, she doesn't say I was cheating. She says it like, I just glanced at Vanessa. I'm like, Tara, do you cheating? <laughs> Cheat it. So, yeah. Yeah, that was a thing. <laughs> so, yeah, but this guy, he really helped her. And that, along with Robin's help, the uh, yeah, senior, mm-hmm. the senior roommate. Um, and she eventually graduated. She was introduced to an opportunity, which was the Gates um, Cambridge Scholarship Fund. And that led her to England, England. That opened up a whole new world for her. She actually suffered from imposter syndrome for a long time. Oh, that's so common. Yeah. How mm-hmm. are we all imposters? One of us has to be Somebody. a legitimate success. <laughs> Please. Yeah. It's the people who've worked through that and they're. And it's success. the people who work hard and actually belong in the seats they take that feel like imposters. Don't, don't be looking at me like that. Okay. <laughs> it's a problem. No, it's common. Yeah, it is it's a problem. problem. Yeah. But she suffered from that a long time, but she eventually kind of got into her groove yeah her rhythm because kind of talk about the issues that she was having so what was the turning point for her where she was able to talk to people on the outside about her the inside um I was thinking when she was in Italy visiting um when she visited the guy from school yeah his hometown that's interesting because I thought it was actually at Cambridge at a dinner with people that are no one's alike at this table because they're all exceptional students brought into this opportunity and they're all different. All different. And so she's able to like stand in her oh, that's uniqueness. And see, I thought she was still feeling like an imposter then. And mm, an outsider to me, but not an imposter. And that's just me. I, yeah. That's how I interpreted mm-hmm. that yeah. moment in her life. But that was really um, big for her because I think she came back from Italy ready to talk and, um, you know, say things. And I think she was in a relationship um, with a guy named Drew at this time. Drew sounds like James Bond. Because <laughs> at one point he's like in the Middle East speaking Arabic. Yeah. He speaks like languages. Languages. Yeah. And he, um, and I mean like languages not in the same family. <laughs> <laughs> like I might dabble in Spanish and Italian, but that ain't Arabic. <laughs> so this is another very learned hardworking individual like hers. She seems more evenly matched with this guy. Yeah. And they're carrying on a long distance relationship. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she goes home back to her college room, if you will. At Cambridge. Yeah. At Cambridge. And she's looking for an email from Drew and she sees an email from her sister. And in this email, her sister, Audrey, who was older than her, begins apologizing, saying, I'm sorry this happened to you um it turns out sean the older brother abused her also and she felt responsible because she left early the home but her leaving allowed him to attack the the baby sister yeah so that was um kind of a turning point it was like an acknowledgement that these things actually had happened because she had i feel like she had gone back and forth when sean had his accident he um there was a time when he had this accident and he fell off a cliff. Yeah. And his brain was exposed. Yeah, that was hard to read. But and she took him to the hospital and everyone was mad. Everybody was mad. But mm-hmm. that happened. But she would care for him, nurse him back to health. She got official acknowledgement that the abuses that she experienced were real and they weren't OK. She wasn't exaggerating the situation. Yeah. Yeah. So her sister was like, I'm going to go talk to mom. 
and tell mom and dad. And she goes and talks to mom. And then shortly thereafter, Tara receives an email from her mom that is essentially apologizing. I'm sorry I allowed these things to happen to you. I'll talk to dad. We'll get this all taken care of. We'll even talk to Sean and it'll be it'll be okay. And unfortunately, that all turns out to be a lie. But she also learns Tyler experienced the same types of abuses. And so here is where we find a real problem because it becomes a separation. The family now is taking their sides, different sides of the line. Yeah. And it's they're going to believe Tara or not. Yeah. <laughs> because at some point, Audrey, the sister who kind of kicked it all off, she redacted her words. Yeah. She says, I was confused. You confused me because you've been um, learning the devil's education. And now I realize that you were clouding my mind and I misunderstood everything. And also, I don't really want to spend time with you anymore because yeah. I'm too weak to be around you. Yeah. And the mom, I think, said that she talked to the dad. She did. Yeah. So the mom is on the phone with Tara and tells Tara you know, don't talk to your dad because he already feels so bad about how his bipolar disorder affected us. That is a phrase only Tara has learned and used. Yeah. So the mom is repeating what she likely has heard Tara say. Mm -hmm. She doesn't believe it and she's not going to talk to the dad. Yeah. And so when it's all brought to the dad, the dad is in an uproar. He doesn't support And that's shocking to Tara because Tara's like, I thought everyone talked to you about this already. But no one did. And he's asking her for proof. Yeah. If Sean really abused you, yeah. where's the proof? Insanity. There is one night where it's kind of like a confrontation with everyone. Yeah. This is the battle she's been preparing for her entire life. She confides oh in her God, dad. I remember that. And unbeknownst to her, her dad calls Sean over to give his side. Now Tara's terrified of him. Sean comes over and puts a bloody knife in her hand and threatens to kill her. At the end of that conversation, everyone is on Sean's side. Everyone Tara. is on Sean's side. Tara leaves the house and sees a dead dog in front of Sean's home. That was their dog <laughs> that his son loved, that he stabbed to death before going when he heard what she had told their dad. Absolutely. I'm talking. This is insane. Do you hear me? Mm, I hear you, girl. It's insane. Who's giving me the shakes? Yeah. Move on. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, (sighs) that very thing is what divided their family. So it seemed that, so there are several members of her family that are educated. It seemed that the educated people sided with Tara, whereas the less educated Cited with Sean and this part breaks my heart because you Mm -hmm. don't need an education to be empathetic and honest. No, but so often people who see their family as everything, everything will allow it to compromise their integrity. Mm -hmm. So like you said in the beginning during our theme of the week discussion, it becomes a question of, is it worth it? Is it worth it to tear the family apart? Yeah. Even if the abuse continues down the line to someone else, is it worth it? And a lot of times families say, no, it's not. Yeah, that's really interesting. Although you, you're still dividing the family, you're ostracizing the victim. Absolutely. And she was indeed ostracized at the funeral of grandma in town. Is it grandma in town? I thought I it was grandma so. down the hill. Oh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Right. So her father's mom. Yeah, her father's mom had died and they joined at the funeral. Everybody kind of came together. But it was that division. 
Yeah. They wouldn't talk to Tara. And if they did, they used it as an opportunity to chastise her. Absolutely. And tell her to run away from the devil. So eventually Tara had to make a decision to separate from her family, even though she really wanted to stay in the family. She really wanted. And through the book, you can see her efforts. She talks about her efforts to stay a part of the family, but they just kept pushing her back. And she decided that for me, I'm just going to stay back. You went back. Mm -hmm. So that was the story. Let's take a quick break. You got it. story right this was a heavy episode okay from the beginning to the end (laughs) anyway i would like your thoughts you would like my thoughts about educated i would like your thoughts about educated would you recommend it okay educated by tara westover really made me think it made me think about the relationships i have with family members it made me think of the value of education and what kind of education And in the end, um, it made me appreciative for the people in my life who taught me to be. Self-reliance takes on many forms. And self-reliance isn't just about jarring peaches (laughs) like her family um, was obsessed with. Self-reliance also means being confident that without the toxic people in your life, you are still a whole and valuable person. And so I'm grateful for the people in my life who taught me that. I felt with Tara that the educated members of her family who could break away, what helped them break away was not so much their education as their education's ability to help them feel valued as individuals. Ooh, interesting. Because they didn't feel they needed this family um, to live a purpose-filled life. Yeah. They formed their own family. Mm-hmm. And in the end of the book, Tara gets closer To the Gentiles in her family, the ones that she was kept away from because they didn't follow the same um, extremist standard that her father held out for for his his children and wife. Um, And then she realizes that these are people that I would be friends with, even if they weren't family. And so it it helps her because I can't imagine what it's like to not have family, you know, to have that foundation. The idea is if you lose everyone in your life, you always have family. And that's not necessarily true. Um, But for Tara, at least in the end, she was able to salvage a family for herself. And so um, I would definitely recommend Educated by Tara Westover. It is a testament to hard work and um, reliance, um, Mm self-sufficiency. So I don't have what you have, but... (laughs) I really did enjoy the book and stuff. (laughs) She went all educated on me, if you will. (laughs) But I'm just going to say I liked it. I liked it a whole lot. Okay? Okay, I did. Okay, why did you like it? I love Tara's resilience. That's that's my psychology 101 uh, shining through. (laughs) I absolutely loved her resilience. I mean, she survived so many and physical injuries and mental attacks, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. Um, and she came through all of that. The things she did not understand, eventually she learned to ask questions and kind of build out her understanding of middle things. And she embraced things that were once strange to her. Yeah. Um, I appreciated the fact that she studied um, 
the civil rights movement yep. and Jim Crow. I mean, she did go as far as to have even posters on her wall of civil <laughs> rights leaders. And her um, dad came over and said, you know, Martin Luther King was a communist. Yeah, that was his response. <laughs> so, yeah. So yeah. I really appreciated it. Mm-hmm. It was a good book. Definitely recommend it. And I feel like I would read it again if I had some spare time. But we don't. So what are we reading next week, Alexis? My Sister, the Serial My Killer. Sis- now, this book has been talked about. The most talked about. Yeah. It's on a lot of bestsellers lists. Yeah. It's won some awards. Absolutely. Nigerian author. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we'll dive into that. It'll be great. Thank you for listening to Lit Society. We'll see you next Thursday. Lit Society is brought to you by Alexis Anaria and Kari Herrera. Support the cause by leaving a five-star review for our show on Apple Podcasts. Please, please do it now, please. Along with a comment, if you like, about why you absolutely love us. We love y'all too. We do. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, tell a friend about Lit Society. Visit litsocietypod.com for show notes, this month's book list, and to sign up for our amazing email newsletter. Until next time, read something.